informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm Rudy Carlos, and I'm filling in for Joe McClain, who was still out. He'll be back on Thursday, God willing. He's going to be back from his vacation, and I can't wait to hear about all of his uh, hijinks, all of his stories on on his uh, trip to New Hampshire. But uh, do keep him and his family in your prayers as they make their way back here to the studio. Well, Joe, not his family. (laughs) But in any case, today is Tuesday, November the 1st, 2022, the feast day of all saints. Woo! Make sure to pray. And ask for the intercession of your particular patron or patroness. And uh, ask for all of the saints to pray for you today. Now, today begins a very wonderful opportunity. You have the next eight days to gain those indulgences by uh, being in the proper uh, state to receive an indulgence in the first place. But you can pray for those holy souls in purgatory by going to the cemetery. I think you're able to get an indulgence per day. So do make sure to take advantage of that. And we talked a little bit about that in our Halloween episode, so you can go on to YouTube.com, search for Catholic Drive Time, and you'll see an episode of uh, last week about Halloween. So you can check out that episode and get more information on what you can do. But right now, I just want to say off the cuff, this is a pre-recording. So we are technically in the past, but uh, we are recording it for the next day because we're going to be off, and we're going to be doing all kinds of fun things. Uh, Adrian, what are you going to be doing on your day off? Absolutely. Praise be to God. The Yes, because today going is in to fact mass? a... It's good to be here because, you know, today is All Saints Day, meaning it's a holy day of obligation, so I will be definitely going to Mass today, but... I may go to the late mass. That way I can uh, <laughs> sleep in a little bit, if you know what I mean. Uh, so yeah. let's use that opportunity to uh, get a little bit of extra sleep. But um, Rudy, what are you dressing up What as? Uh, what did you dress up as for Halloween? Well, I didn't dress up at all. I uh, had the idea of coming in with my camouflage outfit, but uh, this just doesn't do any justice to our radio listeners. So, yeah, nobody uh, could see you if you were wearing, wearing camouflage. Well, that too. Oh, that oh too. you mean because there's no visuals on radio. <laughs> Okay, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Well, we got a lot to get to today. At uh, 35 past the hour, we will have an interview, and it's a fantastic one. It talks about death, what happens afterwards, and everything in between. You know, we talk about transhumanism. We talk about burial. We talk about all kinds of things. It's a great meditation. And that's going to be a conversation with Dr. Randall B. Smith. And he just released a book. I'm holding it here. It's called From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. So you don't want to miss that. 35 past the hour. And we're also going to have the saints of the day and the gospel of the day. And also uh, we're going to we're gonna have uh, a little bit of a reflection, I believe, from Adrian to fill out our show. Well, in any case, let's pray. Let's pray for those holy souls in purgatory, which we're going to remember tomorrow. But also we're going to pray for your holy intentions. We're going to pray for your sanctification and for the conversion of sinners everywhere. Join me in prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, 
but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And now, the saint of the day. And the saint of the day today is from Tradition in Action, their Professor Plinio saint of the day, which is Saint Alfonso Rodriguez. He was born at Segovia, Spain, in 1531. Son of a pious wool merchant, he received the good influence of the first Jesuits to come to Spain. In particular, Blessed Peter Faber, who lived for a time with his family, and later that of St. Francesco de Villanueva. After his father's death, Alfonso took over the family business. However, because of his lack of aptitude, the business entered into bankruptcy. At around the same time, he lost his wife and his three children, as well as his mother. In failure, he said afterwards, I saw the majesty of God. I recognized the wickedness of my life. I had not been concerned about God, and in that state, I was on the verge of my eternal perdition. I saw the sublime grandeur of God from the dust of my misery. I imagined myself as a second David, and the miserere was the expression of my state of soul. At the age of 40, he entered the Society of Jesus as a lay brother, and after a six-month novitiate, he was sent to the Jesuit College of Mount Zion on the island of Palma de Majorca uh, to be the doorkeeper at the adjoining monastery. He was a doorkeeper there for 45 years. His saintly behavior led many to hold him in high regard, and numerous people began to ask for his spiritual advice. St. Alfonso had a special gift for spiritual conversations. His superior affirmed that no spiritual treaties produced as much spiritual good as contact with that lay brother. He always responded to every request in his large correspondence. His fame spread and he became known as the Doctor of Majorca. He, by bearing the enormous and multiple spiritual difficulties he experienced in his own life, he learned the spiritual science. Thanks to his good response to grace, he said, quote, Insofar as the consciousness of my own debility became keen in me, I felt the grandeur of the Lord, end quote. For three days before his death, after his last communion, St. Alfonso remi rem remained in ecstasy. What happiness, exclaimed an eyewitness. It was just a fragment of his eternal joy. Witnesses decided to call for a painter to draw a faithful picture of him. He died October 31st, 1617. This is a magnificent life that has three very important points. First, in an extremely humble position, St. Alfonso did an enormous good for the island of Majorca and the entire world. He was the doorkeeper of a monastery in the island of the Palma de Majorca. In that time, communications from the island to the continent was difficult. It was much more isolated than it is today. There, he spent 45 years of existence, nothing less than 45 years. He had the most humble position possible. Notwithstanding the exquisite perfume of our Lord Jesus Christ exalting from the soul spread out over the island of Palma de Majorca, Spain, and the entire world. The figure of that old doorkeeper, amiable, hospitable, always accessible to everyone, available for every consultation, made the poor chair of this doorkeeper a venerable throne of wisdom. Everyone would go there to see him, to listen to him. This is the magnificent appropriate to even a very humble life. When such a life is dedicated to the service of our Lord in the Holy Catholic Church, 
Why? Because both sanctity and wisdom have an incomparable power of irradiation. A saint does not need to be in a strategic place. Wherever he is, he attracts admiration and affection. It is enough for a man to have sanctity that is victa et non picta, lived and not faked. Second, the way St. Alfonso was called to contemplate and serve God our Lord is magnificent. It is a way that speaks deeply to my soul. He considered the grandeur of God, infinity, infinitely great, infinitely majestic, infinitely wise, transcendent, excellent, sublime, radiant, absolute, and mysterious. When we consider everything in this world that we see and analyze, we realize that it is all insufficient and futile unless it is a reflection of God. If it were not of God, everything is empty, faded, and tasteless. Since we have the faith, we know that everything in creation beyond is its material being is a symbol, a veil that permits us to see the absolute being, perfect, eternal, most wise, and sublime, reflected in the visible reality. Only in considering the superior reality can we, our weary eyes marvel and rest. Finally, we found something that is worthy to see, contemplate, and love that rouses our, com our complete dedication to the measure that we consider that He is not like us, that He is perfect and that we are just dust, mere creatures conceived in original sin. Then our existence acquires meaning. Third, in this interesting to note that St. Alfonso had a special gift of conversation. We know well that many saints are called to be silent, and in this path they sanctify themselves. But it's also true that the other saints are called to speak and talk in different types of conversations. What is the gift of the charism of conversation? It is a communicative form of the love of God, the Holy Church, and the Catholic cause that overflows from the heart of the one who speaks. A conversation can be a grace, and such a conversation can be the fruit of charisma that comes from Our Lady to make a relationship a means for persons to sanctify themselves. Let us ask St. Alfonso Rodriguez to help us follow his example of humility, his sense of the grandeur of God, and his fruitful conversations. St. Alfonso Rodriguez, pray for us. The Gospel of the Day comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary on the Gospel comes to us from our good friend Hadock, who says, The poor in spirit 
which, according to the common exposition, signifies the humble of mind and heart. Yet some understand it of such as are truly in poverty and want, and who bear their indigent condition with patience and resignation. It is not without reason that the beatitudes are disposed of in this order. Each preceding one prepares the way for what immediately follows, furnishing us in a particular with spiritual arms of such graces as are necessary for obtaining the virtue of the subsequent beatitude. In other words, every single uh, beatitude prepares is uh, prepares for us as of as if it were another step as we grow in holiness. Thus, the poor in spirit, i.e., the truly humble, will mourn for their transgressions, and whoever is filled with sorrow and confusion for his own sins cannot but be just and behave to others with meekness and clemency. When possessed of these virtues, he then becomes pure and clean of heart. Peace of conscience reigns in this assemblage of virtues and cannot be expelled cannot be expelled the soul by any tribulations, persecutions, or injustices of men, thus according to St. John Chrysostom. What is this poverty of spirit but humility and contrition? This virtue of humility is placed in the first place because it is the parent of every other virtue, as pride is the mother of every vice. Pride deprived our first parents of their original innocence, and nothing but humility can restore us to our former purity. We may pray and fast, we may be possessed of mercy, chastity, and of any virtues. If humility does not accompany them, then we will be like the virtue of the Pharisee, without foundation, without fruit. Go to our blessed Lord today and sit at his feet. You have a wonderful opportunity to do this. Meditate on the Beatitudes and ask for the graces you need to be truly humbled. First humility, then every other virtue we need to navigate this life. This life which, as my patron saint said, this is but our ship, not our home. That was St. Therese of Lisieux. Heaven is the destination. Lastly, don't forget to ask Our Lady to lead us to her son by way of her immaculate heart. She is our greatest companion in this world. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time right after this break. We're going to begin our interview with Dr. Randall B. Smith, talking about eternity, talking about death and dying. What a wonderful opportunity. Don't go away. More Catholic Drive Time right after this break. Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Uh, started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing Mass, and then it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full. That's heavy. If you've been away from a Catholic church, visit catholicsgohome.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Good morning to you on this All Saints Day. I hope that you are attending Holy Mass this morning. hope that you have plans. If you have to work today, then I hope you have plans for this evening to go to Mass today, because it is, in fact, a Holy Day of Obligation. At least it should be, depending on your diocese, of course. Those things are kind of fungible. But today, we're going to be talking about a book, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body, uh, by Dr. Smith, Dr. Randall Smith, at the University of St. Thomas, He's a contributor to The Catholic Thing and many other publications. And he was actually one of my professors when I was at the University of St. Thomas. So anything bad about uh, my (laughs) education, feel free to attribute to Dr. Smith. Uh, He'll take credit for all the bad things. Um, But praise be to God, we have Dr. Smith on talking about this topic. It was a wonderful read. I'm halfway through with it. I was on my plane trip over the weekend. I was reading it. And it was really, and especially when I was, whenever we hit turbulence and my meditation, reading meditation on death, and I'm like, oh my goodness, here, here, here it comes. Uh, but uh, good morning to you, Dr. Smith. Good morning. Yeah, should we start with stories about uh, your student days, you know, things that you did, things that you're embarrassed about, or uh, should we get right to the, uh, perhaps we should get right to the topic. I think if we we, we have, we might have time later, uh, but we'll see, we'll see how the clock goes, but we definitely want to get right into uh, the interview today. Uh, But Dr. Smith, first, uh, before we dive into the interview... Uh, tell me about this book. Why? What kind of inspired uh, this? The writing of this book. Yeah, as I say in the uh, um, in the in the introduction to the book. Uh, well, I think actually the acknowledgement section. Um, <laughs> you know, when, whenever you're writing a book on on uh, death, uh, although it's it's really about death and resurrection, the afterlife. But anyway, people ask you, everything okay? Right. You know, are you uh, and I have to explain to people, look, it's it's death. It's not a how to book. okay? Um, and and it's it's not a uh, it's it's not a book for people. People are like, oh, yeah, you know, I I have some elderly parents. It's for them. No, it's not for people who are older or something. Okay, it's meant to be a reflection on the nature of life in relation to our concerns about, you know, like, if you don't think about death, all right, you haven't taken life seriously, it seems to me, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in fact, death is simply a part of life, not only your own death, but of course, the death of people that you love deeply and care for deeply. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say about this book, uh, that it did not come about because I, uh, I was, I was like, you know, uh, thinking about death, everything's okay. Um, although I do also say that, um, it is a it is a uh, topic that people seem very uncomfortable mm-hmm. with, and and I can witness to that because uh, I mentioned as well that I'm probably the last person in the world uh, to write a book about this because, like many people in American society, or not all people, but uh, death kind of creeps me out. Um, it's not a topic I like. Uh, my wife is a person who likes cemeteries, and there's a lot of people. No, I hate that. 
Um, I don't like funerals. I don't, you know, there's a whole element uh, of this. But uh, when you have uh, faith in the in the death and resurrection of Christ, you think that there are things which have transcended, right? And there's a victory over all that. And so in many ways, that was uh, the inspiration for the book. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. The, the thing that really struck me in, uh, in the book was whenever you mentioned uh, people asking, are you okay? Are you, why, are you, why are you talking about this? It is interesting that we live in a, in a society that so sanitizes death. In one of your essays on the back and the appendix, you talk about, about the art of dying well, that the, this uh, lady who had her article or her, her topic on music for the dying. And uh, she came to actually speak at the University of St. Thomas and had the privilege of hearing her uh, then. But, you know, it's really interesting how we sanitize death to the point that nobody sees it. And so now if you talk about death, you're like, oh, wow, like, kind of morbid. What, what's wrong with you? And, you know, it's apropos being uh, All Saints Day today talking about death and this idea here. But in ancient times and times before, and not even ancient times, even just uh, less than 100 years ago, you would have families dying in their homes. You'd have your kids and people surrounding them. And I just think about the great King Saints. I'm thinking of King Saint Ferdinand or, or even more, more, uh, recent, Blessed Karl of Austria, how he invites his son in and says, son, you're going to sit here into the room because you need to know how a Catholic and a king dies. And he mm-hmm. had that happen. And now we live in a society where it's like the visitation hours are super limited and when you can go see your loved ones and things like that, even worse during the, uh, the events of 2020. Uh, but uh, Dr. Smith, w- tell me a little bit about that element of this kind of disgust for death in the, in the modern era. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I, one of the points of the book is to try to find a way of talking about death. Um, and, and I think the the promise of the resu- the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ gives us a way of thinking about um, death, which is faces it honestly, but then says there's something greater, right, that we're, we're promised. Um, now, I- again, the issue of dying well is uh, an important one. And of course, again, part of dying well is living well. Um, but again, it, you know, our culture, as you mentioned, is one that has kind of, I don't, I don't want to say sterilized death, but what we've done is um, medicalized it, right? Uh, so people go into the hospital, um, and everyone I, I, I've ever met who was in the last stages of their life wanted to die at home, and very few of them actually got to die at home. Uh, most of them died in uh, a hospital and um, that, it seems to me, is is very tragic. And so you're right. What's happened is we've insulated ourselves from death. And so we don't really see what a, it would be to have a blessed death, um, one that's good. And so it scares. I mean, look, again, I swear I'm, I'm admitting it scares me. OK, right. I wrote this book, but the, <laughs> I got nobody's not a saint here. Right. I mean, I, it's a, it's a topic which is frightening. Because, of course, the prospect of non-existence is uh, frightening. The prospect of death and the death of the body is frightening. That's the question is, part of the, um, the part of the writing of the book is to try to help people to understand something about the promise of the resurrection. But also, in the section you're talking about, I also wanted to say, look, um, this isn't the thing we should do alone. Um, used to be that uh, people, as you said, would do this in communities, 
Um, and the lecture you're talking about, this wonderful woman who uh, does music um, for the dying, uh, her actual research is on chants, right, Gregorian chants, right, Latin chants that uh, communities used to do to accompany the dying, right, as they were in the process of dying. And you think about somebody who would be in that process of, of the last stages of their life surrounded by prayer and love and family. Um, that's a very different kind of, of thing, uh, it seems to me. And, I, and the, in the appendix, I talk about the death of a friend of mine who was an elderly neighbor who lived next door. And uh, he was, I was very pleased. I happened to be around um, at that time. And there were some uh, young women living in the house that my wife and I uh, rent out. And they were kind of, they were there every day actually praying with him and for him. Um, it was very beautiful. And I remember Anthony, uh, his name is Anthony. He, uh, he said at one point, he said, I've never been surrounded by so many women in my entire life. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, it was quite, it was quite lovely. Yeah, that's amazing. The uh, that idea. I mean, I just my parents, my mom has always told me when I was uh, young, you know, Adrian, you're not sending us to nursing homes. You will not do it. Uh, and, and I'm like, yeah, of course, mom. <laughs> never send you a nursing home. And and that idea of intergenerational homes has been has been lost. And I know that's not the topic of your book, but you know, it just kind of struck me that in in times past, we used to have our families living together, your grandparents would live there and your grandparents would help raise the kids. Um, and that would be just part of your life. And then when they, when they died, you'd have the family around to, to witness those moments. And it's so hard to die well in a time when I'm just thinking of reading the saints and how they died. And, um, and instead we have the TV playing in the, in your hospital room. Um, mm. there's uh, the priest may or may not get there cause you know, he has to travel all the way to the hospital, find parking and it's a whole rigmarole uh, unless you have the, the grace of being in a, in a Catholic hospital that has a chaplain on, on staff. Um, and these kind of things, could you talk about, I know this isn't a subject of your book, but could you talk a little bit about dying well, like how, how do you prepare for your death? Well, again, I, uh, to be clear, I, I say in the book, right? So, um, because I think this is very important. So is this book enough, right? Like, so you read this book and this is good. And the answer is no, absolutely not, right? The book is meant to inspire people, I hope, to sort of say, oh, um, I need a community, right? I need family. And my ultimate answer is we need the church. We need liturgy, right? We need all those things. And this is something as you've said, it used to be done by the family, but also was very much centered in the church. And so one of my, uh, I guess, more controversial suggestions in a way, right, is that all of this in a way, right? I mean, obviously not the death itself, and it doesn't take away from the family, but all this should be handled by the church. When someone dies, it seems to me, right, what the church should say is, okay, this is a very very hard time. It's a very emotional time. Um, we can take care of you. That's what we do. If you want to get people reengaged with the church, this is one of the things you try to do and do well. Uh, when people, I would suggest, who have been away from the church or alienated from church or aren't Catholic at all, come and experience 
a Catholic funeral that is truly embracing, they will go away and say to themselves, whatever you want to say about the Catholics, they took care of my mother. And I will always be uh, grateful to them. So it's, it's something, it seems to me, all this stuff which we now do in these very odd places called a funeral home, uh, or funeral parlors, right? Which is the furthest thing you can imagine from a home. Mm. And of course, there used to be parlors and houses. But anyway, all of that, the rosary, the coming together, it should all be done in the church. And then, and this is one of the, you know, most controversial suggestions, that person should be buried in the churchyard, mm. right? In the yard of the church, so that every day, everyone who's coming to Mass can see their relatives and visit mm. them and know, right, that there's a continuity between the children, the grandchildren, and here's where my my people lay in this church. And again, you want to cement people to a parish and to the church. That's the way you do it. You know, I want to pick up on on that topic on the other side of the break. We're about to go to break in about 60 seconds. But the uh, I, I, when we get back from the break, I, I want to explore that uh, just a little bit more about the idea of moving towards having churchyards again. And you told me a story uh, that uh, you heard from a from a bishop or from a bishop's office, rather. And I'd like to hear uh, you tell that story in a second when we get back. And after the break, I also want to dive into you had a whole chapter dedicated to transhumanism, which many people have not heard of. And it's this idea of rejection of the human body. It's a it's halomorphic dualism is what it is. It's dualism. It's the separation of the body and the soul. And I want to explore that more, like adding robotic parts to your body, something out of a sci-fi novel. So all these topics and more we're going to get back to as soon as we get back from the break. So praise be to God. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just about 60 seconds. God bless you. God love you. And I'll see you on the other side. This is Dale Offlist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone talk about how important it is to be progressive? Have you ever asked them what they mean by that? G.K. Chesterton says, Progress is a useless word, for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. We can't have progress until we've stated what our goal is, and then we can determine whether or not we're moving closer to it or farther from it. The real question is not whether we are progressive, but what is our goal? My goal is to get to heaven and to help others get there too. What's yours? Want Chesterton for more than a minute? Visit our website at chesterton.org. First off, I'd just like to say um, I did uh, five years in prison in Texas, and thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network down there and your ministry, there is a lot of us getting back on track. And especially a big thank you to all your donors who donate to the network, and uh, it really helps a lot of us felons find the way and find that the, the Catholic truth and get back on track. So really thank you for that. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. God bless you. God love you. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Praise be to God. 
And we have Dr. Smith on with us this morning talking about the the art of a well we're not talking about the art of dying well but we're talking about eternity from here to eternity the idea of death reflections on death immortality and the resurrection of the body and so we're slowly making our way through this topic and uh different ideas and we were before the break we had talked about the churchyards the idea of one of the solutions could could be uh, the idea of burying your family at your local parish. So you could actually see your family, pray for them. And Dr. Smith, uh, welcome back to the show. When you had told me a story about a, uh, a particular bishop that you heard about uh, in regards to this topic, could you tell me that story? Yeah, well, I had a, uh, somebody who had read an article of mine, and, and we'd had a discussion about um, uh, you know, this issue of churchyards, he thought it was, um, again, people that are in a churchyard, right, that would be the cemetery around the church, right, and um, older churches used to have that all the time. Um, in, in the United States, we don't see it as often now, but if you go to uh, places in Europe, you can still see this. Uh, England, you know, anybody who's been there. Um, and uh, in any case, so uh, he was intrigued by this idea, and for some reason he was uh, dealing with uh, a lo- the, the chancery official who was, you know, dealing with cemeteries and various and sundry things. And he thought, hey, this, this is a good idea. Why don't, why don't we do this, right? You know, we don't have to have a big plot of land somewhere um, that, we, that we have that we could, you know, just bury people around churches, right? Um, and um, uh, the, <laughs> this official said, oh, no, 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 the bishop, the bishop doesn't uh, want any churchyards because it makes it impossible to close the parish, Um, which was as depressing a thing, I think, as I ever heard, really, because again, it's kind of like, what are you just trying to keep the lights on until everything shuts down or so? Anyway, when I heard that, I said, yeah, I want to write an article and say, um, uh, you know, this bishop's uh, chancery official, it wasn't the bishop, right? So the bishop may not think that. Anyway, it's chancery official. I thought any parish that discovers that this was the reason that they're not allowed to have um, churchyards should go out immediately and bury the next <laughs> five people, right, in their churchyard. Because, like, there we are, right? Impossible to close this now because, you know, we have a churchyard. And, um, you know, like, we're, we're stuck here. We've set down roots, okay? Um, we're staying for the long run. Um, but it does what it, it is what it suggests, by the way, right? Again, we don't think of the resurrection of the body. Uh, this is another thing people don't really realize oftentimes. Actually, I, I don't know if you have experienced this, but meeting people who don't really realize that um, the church proclaims the general resurrection, the resurrection of the body. They know Jesus is, is bodily resurrected, but they don't know that the rest of us are meant to be. They're like, what do you mean? We're like my body is kind of, yeah. That, yeah that's you the tell idea. a story. You but tell course, a story about a, a, a professor who had a student who, uh, who reported him for saying uh, that the, yeah. we believe in the resurrection of the body. Could you tell, tell about that for a second? Yeah. Well, that was my mentor, Ralph, the great Ralph McInerney. Um, and uh, he had a student, he was talking about um, Aristotle and, um, how this uh, notion of the union of the of the body and soul, uh, it, the soul is the substantial form of the body, helps us understand the, the resurrection of the body, right, in Christian teaching. And this student thought he was preaching Unitarianism or something. Anyway, he went to the <laughs> dean and he said, uh, Ralph McInerney, he's preaching heresy. Wow. <laughs> and um, fortunately, I think the dean, you know, uh, was able to sort of uh, correct him on this uh, slightly problematic view. Anyway, but you find a lot of students who sort of look like, wait a minute, we're 
I thought that after death, you know, we just go become an angel or something. We just leave our bodies behind. And the point is, like, you do realize that in the creed, every week we say, yeah. and we believe in the resurrection of the body, <laughs> right? Did that never occur to you that what are we saying? And um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, when we put people away from us, when we uh, generally just give in to, um, you know, uh, cremation, or whatever. But, I mean, it's not just cremation. You know, the church allows it, but largely you just don't have this sense of the continuity. Mm. Basically, it's kind of like those people are gone. Let's just, uh, you know, forget them and they go away like dust or something, as opposed to saying they are still here. The, I, the promise of the resurrection of the body yeah. is a promise that they continue to be with us and continue to pray for us in the communion of saints. Uh, and it's, it's very tragic. I think that people lose their loved ones in this way and they can't, rem- they don't have that visible, we might say almost sacramental connection uh, with their loved ones that would be there if you had a churchyard. I agree with you, Doc. And, you know, to go back to uh, to this story about the, the bishop, you know, he's missing out on a very lucrative opportunity here to open up these uh, <laughs> these churchyards because, you know, when I, I lost my dad, I, I realized the hard way that uh, putting someone in the ground, is, it is pretty expensive. So anyway, lucrative idea. But, you know, you mentioned... No, I, go but, it, but here's the point. I, I would say about that, though. Let me let me general. I would say, again... Everything, all this thing, funerals like uh, like marriages have become uh-huh. extremely expensive. Oh, yeah. yeah, you notice that. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing the church could do. The church can say, look, you could spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, et cetera. But what we offer is simple, right? We're not going to charge you mm. thousands of dollars, right? We believe this is, we were embraced here by this simple wooden box Amen. right yeah that's um, all you need and and everything st- stops being about all the you know accoutrements and is then focused on the belief in uh christ's sacrifice for us and his resurrection from the dead but um so yeah i i i, I know you're sort of joking about a lucrative um <laughs> you know uh thing yeah. but i just think it's like largely i would be saying the church would do it for free yeah. Right. And again, if the family had no money, they would say, we have a guy, we have a carpenter. He can make a simple wooden box. It will be tasteful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. We can handle this. That's the thing, right? Because we're the church and this is our job. Amen. But, you know, right right a few minutes ago, you mentioned Aristotle, and I'm looking through the table of contents in the book, and you do talk about these uh, the, the ideas that uh, pagans had of life after death. And I just contrast that with our modern experience where almost I don't think I've met a secular person that really actually believes in an afterlife anymore, which is surprising to me to contrast that with the pagans who – thought about some sort of paradise or at least uh, Adrian mentioned the Greeks during uh, while we were at break you know some some of the some of the Greeks kind of thought that they were going to be suffering in the afterlife but why do you think people don't think about this anymore well again because we've put it away we don't want to think about death at all and so what you find is this odd thing in society which we have right which i think a, a good psychologist would say there's a deep unfortunate avoidance going on here. Um, In fact, Freud did talk about this, but the point is when you meet a lot of people, 
they have this kind of view that, oh, the afterlife is going to be fine mm. in a way, right? Like if you, if you push them, they're still, we're still in a kind of Christian post-Christian culture where it's true, uh, you know, scientifically with one part of their brain or something, you're like, yeah, who really believes in the afterlife and that's or whatever. Until they start thinking about death and they're like, well, doesn't everybody go to heaven? It's all fine. It's all good. You know, um, I once wrote about these, this pair of uh, twins in uh, Europe, I think it was Belgium, if I'm not mistaken, who um, decided again, you know, to commit uh, suicide because they were going blind. And wow. so they did a, a, a paired suicide. I mean, it's very tragic. Right. And, but um, the, their last words to one another before they, you know, took these chemicals to, to terminate themselves was see you on the other side. Hmm. And the point is, like, the other side of what? What do you think? Again, it's a very odd thing to think I can just off myself. Mm-hmm. But and yeah, I'm I'm sure it's there's something, but there's no relationship with what we are here. Again, maybe people watch too many science fiction films where it's kind of like you know I happen to be watching this the, the most recent Thor Love and Thunder film. Uh, which is pretty terrible, but anyway, and um, <laughs> so uh, the the main woman dies, and then you know she goes into dust, but then she shows up in Valhalla, you know, like oh hey welcome, you know, like huh. these are that's a kind of pagan notion without the seriousness of paganism, mm-hmm. right? Um, I talk about those who believe in reincarnation, for example. Reincarnation is a serious business for people who believe in it, right? Mm. In other words, they believe in a moral character right you're you're supposed to be living a moral life so that in your next incarnation you don't show up as you're a moving up the scale so that eventually you find yourself freeing you free yourself from from the scales from the cycles of reincarnation we in our culture people who believe in past lives and whatever they're just playing around with it they don't believe they're suffering from previous sins nor do they think that the things they do now will infect them in future lives so this is just playing Right. Whereas what you need to be is serious about the notion of like, look, this is the life you're given and you better live it. Right. This isn't a, you know, for it isn't you're not this isn't a performance, you know, like we're we're going through some exercises and then we'll get to the real life later or something like that. Yeah. It isn't quite like that. Yeah, we're about to take a break in about 30 seconds. And on the other side of the break, I promised you we talk about transhumanism. So on the next side of the break, we're going to talk about transhumanism. And I want to explore what uh, Dr. Smith was talking about a little bit more because, you know, the, the topic of these Greeks who had these various ideas of, of the afterlife was really fascinating to me. I didn't realize how diverse the thoughts were between Cicero, between the Iliad, between Virgil and the like. It was very fascinating to me. And I, I want to talk about why our culture hates death so much that everyone wants to be immortal. And maybe immortality would actually be a curse. Have you ever thought about that? Well, on the other side of the break, we'll be talking about that. So God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you in one second. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave to GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is Adrian Fonseca. We have Dr. Smith on talking about his book, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. And it's a great topic to be meditating upon during this hollow's tide, this triduum of death, as some people call it. It's a good thing to think about. You know, it's one of the four last things, something to meditate upon, your, your death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And one of those is death, to think about what will death be like. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about what death was like and why some, some people have these like, different ideas of death. And it's interesting because in our modern culture, and Rudy was making this this uh, comment, that in our modern culture, a lot of people just don't think about death. It's kind of almost frivolous and it's it's surprising because at the same time we see suicide rates skyrocket on uh, euthanasia is being pushed on people all over the world and we report on many stories about euthanasia on our show over the last few weeks and this is really fascinating to me in a in a sense because people are killing themselves but what do they think is going to happen on the other side uh, whenever they die they think it's going to be nothingness isn't that worse and the, the different Greeks would talk about, you know, the Stoics, oh, don't even think about it, don't even worry about death. But at the same time, you weren't seeing these mass suicides. Uh, Dr. Smith, welcome back to the show. I'd like to get your take on this rise in suicides and uh, euthanasia in our culture. It's almost as if, and you say in your book, uh, the that people are now saying, to thine own self be, well, sufficient. Uh, so, Dr. Smith, what is your take on this? Well, again, this goes back to the odd sort of tension or contradiction we have in society, which is that um, I agree with Rudy. I mean, people, do they really believe in the afterlife or something? And, you know, they'd be sort of, oh, that's all sort of superstitious. On the other hand, if they really believed that what they were facing was oblivion, right, nothingness, would they be committing suicide, right? Would they be so open to euthanasia? Um, there does seem to be, as I mentioned, this case like, oh, well, see, this is all going to be uh, better. Um, you know, is that, I don't know, whether you, there's a story, I, I don't know, I can't find it in C.S. Lewis or something like where uh, um, there was a supposedly a, uh, an epigraph or an epitaph, I'm sorry, for uh, an atheist. And it said um, on his tombstone or something, it said, all dressed up with no place to go. Oh, um, man. To oh, which, boy. to which. To which Lewis, I, I take it, you know, again, I think that somewhere in Lewis, where he said, I bet he hopes, uh, I'm sorry, I bet he wishes that were true. Um, 
you know, anyway, uh, you know, um, you know, that clever kind of British thing <laughs> that is kind of Buddhism, but it's like, it brings up the question. And again, we have to understand is not everybody always thought that, uh, the afterlife was a good thing. As you mentioned in, in the Homeric epic in the Odyssey, uh, Odysseus makes a journey into, uh, the underworld, um, you know, the netherworld, as it were, to see the spirits. And he meets the great hero Achilles. And famously, Achilles says, he says, oh, Achilles, Odysseus says, Achilles, you're so famous. It's amazing. He goes, hey, death is horrible, no matter what. I'd rather be a slave uh, to a, a penniless farmer than here in the underworld. Wow. And you think, wow, that's really, that's really tough, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so people um, didn't always have, they say right, that um, in, the, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people also didn't have any good sense. There's no indication of any sense of an afterlife, hmm. um, any hope for an afterlife. They seem to have developed one by the time you get to the Maccabees. But aside from that, yeah, not every notion of the afterlife is A, either good or B, what I argue in the book is, is one that makes this life meaningful. Mm. You can have notions. It seems the great tension is it seems like you need a notion of the afterlife to make this life meaning, meaningful. Mm. Okay. Right? So because without a notion of the afterlife, yeah. yeah. But if you know, you can't have a notion of the afterlife that makes this life meaningless. Yeah, there's so much here, and we only have about seven minutes left in our conversation. And I want to talk just briefly about transhumanism. I wanted to talk more about it, so maybe we'll have to have you back on and talk just about transhumanism. But Because um, I, I want to make sure we end talking about the resurrection of the body and the resurrection of our Lord. But briefly, let's uh, talk about the idea of transhumanism, this hatred for being old. You see uh, older ladies who dye their hair, even men <laughs> nowadays, uh, they dye their hair, they get Botox, they dress young, they're trying to pretend that they're something they're not. And there's this common thing that's happening in this transhumanist movement of trying to augment the body, trying to, this immortality project, as you, you put it in your book, uh, it's it's very disordered. Could you talk briefly about the transhumanist movement and its hatred for the body, ultimately? Yeah, it's uh, it's a interesting thing, and we want to uh, you know distinguish certain things from you know again uh, your hair, your body. Again, people should stay fit, et cetera, et cetera. But the transhumanist movement is uh, this idea that. Um, we could somehow beat death, right? And we could do it chemically, we could do it genetically, we could do it technically, right? It's the notion that um, there could be some kind of techne, right? Some kind of technical fix that we could have um, that would keep us alive uh, forever and ever and ever. And I, I go through, it, this is something actually in the ancient world they thought about a lot because they thought about death more. And every story that you're ever going to get from ancient literature about this promise of immortality warns against it. This is a very, very bad idea. Because of course, you think about it, um, you're like, well, I want to be, I want to live forever. Um, and uh, you could be uh, like characters in the Old Testament. Uh, who, I'm sorry, not the Old Testament, I mean, in Greek literature, who live forever, but then forget to ask for eternal youth. Mm. And they just get older and older and more shriveled. Uh, the Sibyl <laughs> Akume is one of these characters. Um, anyway, and uh, so, and of course, boredom sets in, forgetfulness sets in. There are many, many issues, but 
you know, all of these warnings are things that the transhumanists who sort of say, oh, no, we'll be able to what download your consciousness. This is something which is very common, right? We'll download your consciousness into a chip somehow or into some software and then we'll embed it in something else. Yeah, it's as though somehow your body is an alien being that you you inhabit and you could shift from body to body to body without any problem, right? Like putting on and off a coat. And I think this is a false, uh, clearly a false promise. Yeah, this is, it's, it's huge to these whole ideas um, of, of these, uh, these things. And one of the practical things, which running out of time, but real quickly, uh, you mentioned some of the practical things of like, who gets to have this immortality? Who gets to be the, have the robot body or whatever it is? I uh, should briefly talk right, people, about that. People forget. Yeah. People forget that all of this technology costs money, <laughs> right? So the point is who gets to live forever? Who gets the best new bodies? If even such a thing were possible. And the answer is only people who have huge amounts of money. Right. Or who have the technical skill. And so the, the, the divide between the haves and the have nots becomes wider and wider and wider as we technologize society in various terms. I'm not against technology, but it's just something to keep in mind. Right. Even now with healthcare, that's one of the, one of our big issues. Right. Who yeah. gets it and who can afford it? It's a, it's an inversion really of, of what we can get really as faithful. Catholics, faithful Christians, you know, when we put our faith in Christ, we really do get the best body. We get the best resurrection, right? I mean, that's our hope, you know, at the at, yeah. at the great resurrection that our body comes back together and we're completely renewed in Christ. I mean, that's what that's what they want to accomplish with technology. But really, all you have to do is something a lot more simpler. It's have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, the, it's it's a similar thing to uh, what people are trying to do with, um, you know, cloning or whatever. It's like, look, you can produce new human life. Just go get married and and um, have children. It's generally thought to be uh, <laughs> right. rather uh, pleasant. Whereas instead, right, it's kind of like, well, like uh, you want um, to live eternally. Well, that is the Christian promise. And all this technology trying to do what, in fact, uh, only really exists uh, when you're united with the risen body of Christ. Mm. Yeah, I always wonder, you know, why why do they want to clone these sheep when there's shepherds who are doing this already, you know, and it's completely fine. But it's a uh, it's control. Uh, it's control, of course, yeah, and it's a uh, it's uh, a selfishness. We look at this world, we cling to it, and we refuse to believe that there is something greater outside of us in our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And and we instead just kind of uh, pretend like this is the best thing that we can ever hold on to. It's really sad at the end of the day. Yeah, you want to do two things. I don't want to produce a a view that views a notion that views human life as meaningless or yeah. empty. Life throughout the scriptures is. Um, infinitely valuable. And of course, John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae, same thing, right? Life is tremendously, tremendously, uh, infinitely, we might say, valuable. Um, but one of the characteristics of our fallen world is that mm. we experience death. And so we have to take account of that, right? So we don't want a notion of death that somehow, again, makes this life meaningless. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, most of the views that you get about the afterlife, right, or death and you have to make this life meaningless. And quite frankly, as far as I can see, the only view of life after death 
or of living on, right, you know, of eternal life that doesn't make this life meaningless is the notion that you get in Christianity of the resurrection of the body. Amen. With just seconds on the clock here, Doc, there's a lot of different ideas on what heaven's like. What's your take? Well, again, my view is that uh, our deepest revelation about what heaven is, is given in the person of the resurrected Christ. There are images that we get, but in fact, the only thing we really know is, uh, you know, has to be centered on that person of the resurrected Christ, which tells us that we'll be united fully with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we do not, like the drop of water returning to the ocean, lose our personal identity and our connection with those we love. Amen. Thank you very much, Dr. Smith. And the book is, just as a reminder, the book is From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death and Immortality and the Resurrection of the Body by Dr. Randall Smith, published by Emmaus Road. And thank you, Dr. Smith. We're going to have to have you back on just to talk about transhumanism because that is such a big topic. And we have to, uh, I think they have to explore this uh, some more. And I know we really wish we would have talked more about the resurrection. I just did not manage the clock very well in terms of the amount of content there was to cover. But thank you very much, Dr. Smith, and God bless you. God love you. Any last uh, parting seconds you have? Yeah, Adrian, um, you know, once again, just like in honors, you can't actually uh, cover everything you need to cover, <laughs> right, in a small time, right? It's uh, There's always more to be said. That's the beauty of it. There's more time in eternity, huh? Amen. Yes. Amen. On the next uh, in the next segment, we have to go. But on the next segment, we'll be talking about more about All Saints Day and that kind of thing. And so Halloween, God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you back tomorrow live in studio. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Was the Catholic Church in existence as far back as the first three centuries? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, baseball. In September 1845, the New York Knickerbocker Baseball Club was formally established and called baseball. Rules were set, included a diamond-shaped infield, foul lines, and the three-strike rule. But seven years before that, in 1775, that game was already being played on schoolyards, well before it was ever called baseball. Secondly, the Apostolic Father such as Tertullian, Clement, St. Ignatius, all wrote before 215 A.D. about the authority of the local bishop. And they used the name, the Catholic Church, which already had the liturgy, the Eucharist, the readings, the relics, a hierarchy, and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. To fishermen, a dolphin was just a big fish until they were termed dolphins. But they were always dolphins. And baseball was baseball well before it was termed baseball. And you will love this. The early church was the Catholic Church well before Constantine the Great, the Nicene Creed, and your church history book. Hey, Donnie, who were the first two people God created? Adam and Eve. There you go. And what did we inherit from them? 
original sin. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. You're tuned to KSHJ, 1430 AM, Houston, Texas. All Catholic, all truth, all the time. Saints Day. All saints, pray for us. Amen, amen. And hopefully, you will be heading to Holy Mass this morning. Or maybe you are already on the way to Holy Mass. Or maybe you know, okay, tonight... I know Mass is at 7 o'clock tonight, and you're going to make it there after work. Because remember, today is, in fact, a holy day of obligation. Of course, depending on where you are, you need to check your local bishop for uh, more information. But generally speaking, today is a holy day of obligation. So make sure you uh, set aside some time to go to Holy Mass and make the day holy. Sanctify your day somehow, some way. Think about how can I sanctify my day while in the workforce while running to school, while going about your normal everyday life, because I know some people, or most people rather, don't have the privilege of having the day off. If you own a business, maybe maybe it'd be a cool idea to let your employees have the day off on Holy Days of Obligation. How awesome would that be? What would that, what message would that send? It'd be quite amazing, I think. But today... Before I go any further, today, because it is All Saints Day, because it's a Holy Day of Obligation, the Guadalupe Radio Network has the day off. Praise be to God. Thank you to the Guadalupe Radio Network. So this is, in fact, a pre-recorded show. If you were listening in the last hour, we talked all about death in honor of the Holy Tide, which is All Hallows Tide, the Triduum of Death, as some might call it. And uh, we talked all about that with Dr. Randall Smith at the University of St. Thomas during the last hour. During this hour, I, well, for one, we're not going to have the game show. So hold off on calling. You don't have to call right now because we are not going to have the game show today. We did have the game show yesterday, and we will have the game show tomorrow, which means there's a higher chance of you winning the prize. That's because less names in the in the cup means more chances for you to win. So make sure to call tomorrow morning to participate in the game show. We had our Gloria. She uh, donated to us some planners that have uh, those gospel readings and some things like that. It's a notebook type thing, and it is really cool. And so thank you to Gloria for uh, donating them, donating that to us so we can give it away for the game show. That's it's pretty pretty awesome. And if uh, you would like to be a participant. And, uh, and, but you need to call in tomorrow, but not today because today is a pre recorded show. So no game show today. Instead, what are we doing today? Instead, we are actually going to be reading the, a passage from Dr. Plenio Correa de Oliveira, a Brazilian Catholic thinker, 
on the feast of All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which is tomorrow. So I'm going to read you those things, and uh, we'll make, give a little comments on it. And I think it'll be really inspiring. And don't worry, this is definitely going to be good for the young ones to be able to listen to. And so we'll get right into that in a second. But praise be to God. Thank you very much to everyone who is tuning in this morning. And God bless you. God love you. So let's begin this hour with a prayer, and then we'll jump into this uh, article, these articles by Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira. Uh, for those who don't know, Professor Plinio is the founder of the TFP. He uh, was a Brazilian Catholic thinker. He was the theologian for Bishop Castro de Meyer at the Second Vatican Council. So he's a very brilliant man, very, very well known in Brazilian circles and becoming more well known in American circles as well. But without further ado, let's jump right into this uh, passage and we'll begin reading it after we say a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So from the article on All Saints Day and All Souls Day, they're going to be successive, so I'm not going to uh, pause in between. I'm just going to merge them together as if they were one giant article. He says, how many crusaders died unknown fighting for the liberation of the Holy Land from the Muslim domination and went to heaven? How many Catholics died fighting in Spain and Portugal during the war of the Reconquista? How many crusaders died fighting to conquer the pagan peoples of northern Europe? All these were souls who understood, in a special way, the splendor of placing their force of arms at the service of the faith, of sacrificing everything, including their own lives, for the victory of the Catholic Church. There were souls like these who died in the Vendée in France and in the Carlista uprising in Spain. Also the San Cridistas who fought against the revolution in South Naples. The pontifical Zouaves who heroically fought and died to keep the papal states from falling into the hands of the partisans of Garibaldi, Garibaldi, the Cristeros in Mexico, and so on. They are our brother souls who are in heaven, praying for those who continue their fight against the revolution on earth. That's amazing to think about. I just want to pause right here for one second and, this, and point out how amazing is it? Do we ever stop and think about all the great Catholic soldiers who fought for God and country, who fought for the church, who died in defense of Holy Mother Church? These men, many of them, are martyrs, which is why it might be a good practice to uh, start making an ejaculation, a short prayer uh, to these people. Uh, you could say something like, all you holy cruceros, pray for us. All you holy Vendée martyrs, pray for us. And these kind of things, every single culture has a history of Catholicism. And in that history of Catholicism, I guarantee that you have people in your history who died in defense of the faith, who fought for God and country. 
invoke those people. And today is a day on All Saints Day when we think about those souls who are saints because they are in heaven today. They are not. They may not be canonized saints like the ones that we do in the saint of the day, but they are saints nonetheless because they are in heaven and they can intercede for us. The, the article continues. Then there were those glorious ecclesiastics who fought against Freemasonry. I remember with special admiration Don Vitel Maria Con Goncalves de Oliveria, Bishop of Olinda in Richifa in northeast Brazil, who forcefully combated Masonry, one of the most diabolic and dynamic agents of the revolution. Also, Monsignor Henry de Lassus, who wrote his famous La Conjection, Antichristine against Judaism and Masonry. They and many others spent their lives fighting against Masonry and were per persecuted, oppressed, and some of them were even murdered. They also are our brother souls. We cannot forget the cherished members of our families who preceded us, preceded us in Signum Fidei, in the sign of the faith and gain their eternal salvation. They are our special intercessors who love us and want to bring us ever closer to God to save our souls and be with them in heaven. St. Teresa Lisieux had a beautiful veneration for her brothers who had died before the use of reason. She used to say that they were the saints of their family. Her family soon would produce a much greater saint, St. Therese herself. Uh, pause real quick here as well. Another thing that's interesting a friend of mine had the misfortune of their child dying uh, in, um, a couple hours after their birth. It was fortunate for them, though, that they were able to baptize the baby after the baby was born because the child was born alive. And then the baby died. Now, that's a tragedy that the child died. But it's amazing because the funeral mass for the child is not the same kind of mass as we see normally. Instead, they have what's called the Mass of the Angels, because they're recognizing that the angels have taken up the soul of this child straight into heaven. Because after baptism, they're cleansed of all original sin, and as a child before the use of the age of reason, they have never committed an actual sin. So that means they went into heaven directly. They went straight to heaven. What a grace, and those souls that have, that happened to are now praying for their family. And so they handed out holy cards of their daughter. How amazing is that? So that's just another thing that I found very interesting. And those are some of the saints. These children who died after baptism and before the use of the of reason, they're, those are the people we celebrate today on All Saints Day as well. Let's continue. We should pray specially to all these saints on this feast day of theirs since they are particularly open to hear us. We should ask them to help us accomplish on earth the vocation God gave us, and after that, to be with him, our lady and them in eternal glory. What is the object of, of the All Saints Day? It is the veneration of all souls that are in heaven, even if they are not officially canonized or beatified. Anyone who is in heaven is a holy person. He or she is in the presence of God, sees God face to face, and is eternally pleasing to God. Wow. And is eternally pleasing to God. Every single soul in heaven is, in fact, eternally pleasing to God. They stand before Christ. They stand before our Lord face to face. What can they not 
ask for us? What will our Lord refuse them if they ask? When they have their child there in front of them, looking at them face to face, it's a beautiful thing to meditate upon. Continuing, since it is impossible to know all these persons whose number is uncountable, the Catholic Church cannot properly honor each one of these saints by offering them a formal homage as she does with the canonized saints. So she instituted the Feast of All Saints, a day on which she venerates them all. It is a good to pray to all these souls and ask their protection. There are, however, some of them whose names we do not know who have a special relation to our counter-revolutionary fight. Who are these souls? I'll give you a sample list that you can add to as you will. All Souls Day has great significance for us. It is a day, and that was the, uh, the end of, of that article, uh, talking about All Saints Day. And so, uh, unfortunately, we don't have the list that he gave um, in these in, during those times. So, it's very unfortunate that we don't have that. But, moving on to All Souls Day. All Souls Day has great significance for us. It is a day when we pray for all the faithful and all the souls who have died and possibly are in purgatory. It is also the day when the church, with the tact proper to her, reminds us of the reality of death. So we've been talking about death quite a bit, and it's a good thing to meditate on. It's a good thing to think about the possibility of death. It's also good to think about the souls in purgatory, how the souls in purgatory are deceased loved ones. God willing, they are in purgatory. And we must remember the souls in purgatory are suffering. Purgatory is, in fact, fire. In fact, according to St. Thomas, the fires in purgatory are the same fires that fuel hell. The only difference is that in purgatory, there is love. There is comfort. It is said that the guardian angel, your guardian angel, will be with you in purgatory to comfort you. Whereas in hell, you are alone. There is no love in hell. So that's the main difference. Fulton Sheen famously said that hell is fire with no love. Purgatory is fire with love. And heaven is love with no fire. It's continuing on here. On the one side, the church points to a cliff under our feet. And makes us see a multitude of souls who are in a state of punishment and suffering. On the other, she shows us the misery of death. It's destruction of the body and the misery of the soul that does not go straight to heaven. Remember, remember, souls who go to purgatory will in fact end up in heaven. Purgatory is not, let me repeat, purgatory is not a middle ground. It is not a place where you go that's kind of a, a third place where you, you might end up. No. After your death, you will either go to heaven or you will go to hell. It is as simple as that. If you make it to purgatory, that means you are, in fact, guaranteed heaven. Purgatory, because the Holy Writ says that nothing unclean may enter heaven. Because nothing unclean may enter heaven, you must be cleansed of your imperfections. And if we do not do our suffering here on earth, we must make up for it in purgatory. Now, like I said before, purgatory is no bueno. It's not fun. It's not going to be a good time. So we must pray. We must pray dearly for those souls in purgatory. And the good news is, if purely for selfish reasons, 
We should pray for them because they will pray for us. And whenever we end up dying, and if we end up in purgatory, then the souls in heaven that we prayed for during our life, they will stand before the merciful God and intercede for us. And we also want to instill the practice of praying for the holy souls in our children. Because when we do so, whenever we die, we want them, we want to know that they will be praying for us and for our soul. So let's continue to pray for our lost loved ones and let's encourage our families, our children to do the same. A common practice that I picked up that I do try to do as much as I can is after the prayer before meals, I'll add another prayer. So I'll say the prayer before meals. And I'll say, and on the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God, rest in peace. It's a short little prayer that you can add to the beginning of your prayers. And you can also add it to the end of your prayers at the end of your meals. It's a very common practice to, to pray after your meals. And the, the common prayer is, we give you thanks, almighty God, for these and all thy benefits who livest and reignest forever and ever. Amen. And for the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God, rest in peace. And that's a common prayer that you can pray. So think about that. And I'm going to repeat it one more time. Hopefully you can uh, think about it. Maybe you can look it up, write it down, and memorize this prayer and say them before and after your meals. And maybe more often, every time you pass a cemetery, maybe. And so the prayer is, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. And so that is a very powerful prayer that you can say at any time, a short little prayer, just offering these prayers for the souls in purgatory. And continuing the article, it would be beautiful to see in the All Souls Day liturgy some phrases of Job, the lamentations of a man on the edge of madness who falls into the jaws of death, entirely isolated with his bones calcinated, his flesh reduced to dust in the bitter weeping that inundates the soul separated from the body. It would be good to see reminded in the liturgy the misery of that sinner installed in a place of punishment awaiting God's mercy, the mercy of the living God. Once in a while we should meditate on death to understand what is profoundly real in the warning the priest makes to each one of us on Ash Wednesday. Remember, Man, dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. This gives us an understanding of the real dimension of all things in this life. There are persons who imagine that they will always have some time left to prepare for death, and that they will have a long disease that will slowly wear away their health until they die, so when they feel healthy, they have a relative security that they will not die suddenly. This is not true. We can die suddenly either in an accident are from one of those medical conditions that are unpredicted and medicine can only explain after they happen. At any moment, we can die. If any of us can die at any moment, all our desires and actions in this life appear as worthless. We will die and end in the cemetery. A meditation on death is a good way to create detachment from the things of this earth. It humiliates our pride and makes us understand that in a single moment, we may die and appear before the judgment seat of God. Who among us knows whether he reaches home alive this evening? Who knows whether in one hour he will be before the judgment seat of God? Who can be certain that he will not be burning today in the flames of purgatory or hell? Without this uncertainty about death, life has no grandeur. Nothing is beautiful. 
nothing is attractive without the figure of death at the end of the road. Because it is only by contrast that man evaluates the transitory nature of things in this life. It is only by contrasting life with this fundamental misery that we comprehend how everything we want here is small in the face of the destiny that awaits us, which is death. Now, before I continue, I want to emphasize this point because we mentioned this yesterday that our lady... When she appeared in Fatima to the three shepherd children, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco, they were just children. Yet, what did Our Lady decide to do? Our Lady decided to appear to them and show them hell. They just, she decided that it was a worthy cause to show these young children the horrors of hell. Sister Lucia said that she saw souls falling into hell like snowflakes. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And it's interesting to think about that that could be us. And so when we talk about evangelization, when we talk about the mission of evangelization, we should also think about how did Our Lady evangelize? Our Lady evangelized by first and foremost showing people hell. Because it is only by knowing the punishment, by knowing the bad news, that we can then present the good news of the gospel. Because what did showing hell to the children do for them? It sparked a holy zeal in their souls to offer penance and sacrifice for the souls who may be going to hell. On All Souls Day, we remember all the souls that have passed, and we pray for all the souls that they may attain eternal life. And I want to read this passage one more time, this little paragraph right here, and then we'll move forward. Without this uncertainty about death, life has no grandeur. Nothing is beautiful. Nothing is attractive without the figure of death at the end of the road. Because it is only by contrast that man evaluates the transitory nature of things in this life. It is only by contrasting life with this fundamental misery that we comprehend how everything we want here is small in the face of the destiny that awaits us, which is death. The idea here is that death makes things beautiful. If life was eternal, if, life was, if we were all immortal, would we value life? Would we care and cherish these short moments? They always say that the, the time when your children are young, that those times flash by, that it would blink, they're already older, and you want those days back. Would we remember all these things if life was, if we were immortal? And it was like uh, just literally a flash in your life. It was five minutes of your life compared to eternity living on this earth. And not to think, uh, mention also, that the fact that we die is a grace from God. Because if we die, if we had the gift of eternal life while in this vow of tears, it would not be good for us considering the fact that because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we would suffer on this earth with concupiscence, with corrupted natures. But it is by the resurrection of the body, through the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the resurrection of the body, Oh, happy fault 
that won for us so great a Savior. It is by Him that we will have the resurrected body, that we will be able to continue onward with a perfected nature and live eternally, live immortally, but in perfection, in perfect happiness. Whereas in this earth, nothing can make us happy. If we think of living on this earth for a million years, we would get sick of everything. Nothing would please us. Nothing would bring us joy because everything would become monotonous. But it is by our eternal life, face to face with God, who is the inexhaustible mystery, that we're actually able to have great joy. We'll continue on with the article. The modern mindset abhors grief. This is why the progressivists want to do away with everything in the liturgy that represents death. I knew one of them who advocated the use of white vestments for mourning, explaining it is a day of joy. The person goes to heaven and the family should be glad. This type of progressivist does not want to wear black vestments because he is afraid of thinking about death since his conscience is not at peace. In times past, some widows used to wear black clothing from head to foot. They would even cover their faces with a black transparent veil during the period of heavy or deep mourning. Only when they went to visit persons to thank them for their condolences received did they lift their veils to converse a bit. But they covered their faces again when they left to return to their homes. There was also what was called light mourning, which consisted in dressing in black and white. This mourning was adopted either by distant relatives or by close relatives after a certain period of time. Only after one or two years did the mourning period end. The revolution abhors grief. We should face death with serenity and grandeur, confronting even what it, what it has of the afflictive and tremendous. The intelligent being has such grandeur that in the face of the catastrophe of death, man has a certainty that another life and another destiny awaits him. Before we continue, one point on this topic is the idea that it is okay to mourn. It is okay to be sad, especially when sad things happen. There's obviously a disorder that could happen when you're sad for no reason, when you're mourning for no good reason. Those things are not good, and it's kind of a, a depicted with your, your father, at least my father, saying, I'll give you a reason to cry if you start crying for no reason. Because there is a time to cry, and there's a time to not cry, right? There's a time to be joyful. But when someone dies, the proper attitude is, in fact, mourning. Just like Our Lady mourned the death of our Lord, even though she knew with 100% certainty that he would rise on the third day. Yet she still mourned. Why is that? Why did our Lord mourn? Our Lord mourned whenever her, his friend Lazarus died, even though he knew with 100% certain that he was about to raise him from the dead that very moment. Because death is, in fact, sad, and that's okay. We must allow ourselves to have this mourning. It is a disorder to prevent ourselves from mourning, and it causes such great harm to our souls to not give us a period of time to mourn. Finishing the article, the intelligent being has such grandeur in the face of the catastrophe of death. Man has a certainty that another life and another destiny awaits him. The consideration of death is beneficial. The consideration of suffering is also beneficial. Sometimes I have the desire to take you on a short tour and bring you to a hospital to see some seriously ill people, a man with cancer, another with a grievous ulcer on his arm, so that you can comprehend the role of suffering in life. We cannot have a life of porcelain doll, ignoring suffering, lacking the courage to see it face to face, there is much, there is majesty in death, 
and principally in death dead persons who assume some of the majesty of the punitive God. It is the majesty of thunder and lightning, of earthquakes and cataclysms. It is something that is necessary to know and love because whoever does not know and love this majesty is not capable of seeing God in his eternity, in his entirety, in his infinite affability, but also in his eternal justice. Let us pray for the deceased, for the souls who are the most abandoned in purgatory, and for whom no one prays, with the consent of Our Lady, of course, who decides what to do with all our prayers. Let us also ask that they obtain for us the comprehension, love, and enthusiasm for those unfathomable shadows of death that enrich the ascetics of the universe and the authentic panoramas of human life. Thus ends the document from Professor Plinio, uh, published by Tradition and Action. And that'll conclude us for today. Tomorrow morning, we'll be back live in studio with our regularly scheduled programming. And happy All Saints Day to you. Make sure you make it to Mass. Find a Mass that's nearby. Find a Mass that is available to you. And make sure you make it to Mass. Today is a holy day of obligation. And let's pray to those holy souls who have gone before us. Let's pray to them that they intercede for us. Let's ask the Holy Crustero Martyrs, the Holy Crusaders, the Holy Vendee Martyrs to pray for us, the victims of the revolution. Let's ask them to pray for us. Because those souls that are in heaven that may not have a canonized feast day, they are still our brothers and sisters in the faith. So let's ask them to intercede for us that they may be the cloud of witness cheering us on and helping us fight the good fight. So praise be to God. I'll see you all tomorrow morning with our regularly scheduled programming. And we'll have the game show as usual. So tune in for that. Without further ado, God bless you. God love you. And happy All Saints Day. Pray for us. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the Solemnity of All Saints. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. For all the saints who from their labor rest, all who by faith before the world profess, your name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, 
and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you. We glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, by whose gift we venerate in one celebration the merits of all the saints, bestow on us, we pray, through the prayers of so many intercessors, an abundance of the reconciliation with you for which we earnestly long, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of Revelation. I, John, saw another angel come up from the east, holding the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels, who are given power to damage the land and the sea. Do not damage the land or the sea or the trees 
until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. I heard the number of those who had been marked with the seal, 144,000 marked from every tribe of the children of Israel. After this, I had a vision of a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, race, people, and tongue. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation comes from our God, who is seated on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They prostrated themselves before the throne, worshipped God, and exclaimed, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders spoke up and said to me, Who are these wearing white robes, and where did they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you are the one who knows. He said to me, These are the ones who have survived the time of great distress. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. The Lord's are the earth and its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? One whose hands are sinless, whose heart's clean, who desires not what is vain. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, a reward from God his Savior, such is the race that seeks him, that seeks the face of the God of Jacob. Lord, this is the people that longs to see your face. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest, says the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you, and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The solemnity of all saints, I think we are invited to ponder three things. The first is our universal call to holiness that every single one of us has in life. As St. Paul tells us, or as from the letter of St. John in the second reading today, the Father has called us to be the children of God. And that really fundamentally marks our life, that each of us, has a call to live as a child of God, which really means a call to be holy. Today's gospel explains to us really what the content of holiness looks like. It has been commented before that the Beatitudes are really a kind of word picture of Jesus. In other words, they really describe the life that the Lord Jesus himself lived. And very interestingly, the word blessed, which is used there, could just as equally be translated as happy. The words, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are they who mourn, for they will be comforted, etc. The message is really holiness, happiness, and discipling Jesus, they're, they're all really kind of synonyms, synonyms. It is the path that we are called to live in life, and when we find it and live it, then ultimately we find fulfillment and happiness. And thirdly, Today's celebration, of course, also reminds us that we have a whole host of intercessors who have gone before us, who have succeeded in living this goal of holiness or this goal of discipling Jesus. I think when we read the Beatitudes, it can be striking that it does not strike us as being a particularly easy path to be able to walk, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're not values which necessarily come terribly easy to us, especially in this fallen world in which we live. But the saints are for us tangible and concrete reminders that uh, it is, of course, possible with God's grace that they have gone before us and succeeded in this path of living the Beatitudes of following Christ. And today we remember the power of their intercession to assist us on our own journey but to be holy, to be happy and fulfilled in life, and to truly live as the children of God. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. 
for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate to the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. And we pray on this day that we would remember our call to holiness, that we would strive with all our heart to be holy, and that we would rely and take advantage of the great intercession of all the saints who have gone before us to help us in this endeavor. We pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it'll become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it'll become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May these offerings we bring in honor of all the saints be pleasing to you, O Lord, and grant that, just as we believe the saints to be already assured of immortality, so we may experience their concern for our salvation through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and 
It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for today by your gift we celebrate the festival of your city, the heavenly Jerusalem, our mother, where the great array of our brothers and sisters already gives you eternal praise. Towards her we eagerly hasten as pilgrims advancing by faith, rejoicing in the glory bestowed upon those exalted members of the church, through whom you give us in our frailty both strength and good example. And so we glorify you with the multitude of saints and angels, as with one voice of praise we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, 
we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptis salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, we es in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhum, adveniat regnum tuhum, fiat voluntas tua, sicur in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Quitolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, quitolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Ye watchers and ye holy ones, bright seraphs, cherubim and thrones, raise the glad stream, hallelujah. Cry out, dominions, princedoms, powers, virtues, archangels, angels, choirs. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord 
from hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.